the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. It was several years ago that there was a caller to the program around Easter time who identified themselves as a Christian since childhood, regular churchgoer, loved the Lord, tithe regularly, But as we were talking during the Easter season about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the caller went on to say that they didn't think that it was really that big of a deal, that it didn't matter if Christ's resurrection was literal or or a figurative one. That conversation demonstrated to me that there are those within the body of believers who identify as Christians that are, well, from weak on the fundamentals to utterly failing to understand, grasp, and embrace even what is foundational to our faith. The extreme ineffectiveness, perhaps, of the gospel because of either biblical illiteracy or the unwillingness to outright acknowledge that we are in conflict, that we as Christians who believe in what the Bible teaches about not just the identity of Christ, but the role that he plays on the world stage of providing that substitutionary sacrifice through and by which we might be, through faith and grace, reconciled unto the very Creator himself. Today we spend some time talking about that conflict that we seem in some cases to be avoiding as we're joined by best-selling author, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the broadcast Pathway to Victory, and of course uh, his latest book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. And Dr. Robert Jeffress, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me, Craig. Let's talk about this sense of conflict. Certainly, as we look at the world stage today, uh, we are in conflict, and particularly from the position of biblical Christianity, uh, we see there are two fundamental opposing views. There is biblical Christianity on one hand and the rest of the world. Sadly, though, there are many people, and a growing number, particularly in uh, Western Christianity, that seem to rather than recognize the conflict, it's almost as if we're choosing to eliminate it. Well, that's right. And the one statistic, Craig, that was behind my writing this book was the fact that 57% of evangelical Christians say there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ in spite of the fact that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that is just astounding that Christians are waffling and wavering on the most foundational belief of historic Christianity. And you know, the truth is, Craig, if we give up 
this belief, we might as well close our church doors. I mean, if there are many ways to heaven, I mean, the death of Jesus Christ was a horrendous mistake. I mean, why did he suffer not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony on the cross of bearing the sins of the world, if indeed all roads end up to heaven anyway? And uh, I just find that so many Christians are waffling on this issue that I wrote this book in order to, first of all, ground Christians so that they can reclaim this foundational truth, but also know how to share it in a compassionate, yes, but a compelling way with other people. From your perspective and viewpoint, Dr. Jeffers, how do we reconcile this? I mean, better than 50% of evangelical Christians Mm -hmm. that do not fundamentally have a grasp on the foundation of our faith. I understand that, you know, American, we must certainly embrace our pluralism from a constitutional liberty view. I get that. But Christians can't be embracing this pluralism from a theological view. I mean, to do so at the core is an anathema. Well, it is. And look, I think what's happened here is we've allowed the world to browbeat us into believing that to tell people that Buddhism is wrong and Islam is wrong and Hinduism is wrong, that that's hateful and intolerant, and nobody wants to be uh, accused of that. But really, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most loving thing we can do is share that with somebody. I was on a plane not long ago, and I was seated next to a guy, and he found out I was a Christian pastor, and he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say there was only one way to worship him. So I said to him, just imagine this airplane were to crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane, waving a flashlight, saying, follow me, there's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant or hateful because she insisted there was only one way out? Of course not. You would thank her, and you would follow her. And and that's what we've got to do, Craig, is realize that this message is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. If we hated Muslims and, and Buddhists and Hindus, we would keep our mouths shut. But this truth that Christ is the way to heaven was meant not to keep people out of heaven, but to invite them in. Part of the issue here, too, Dr. Jeffers, perhaps a a, a stigma that is infecting certainly American culture, if not Western culture overall, this notion that somehow it's more important to be liked than be truthful about God's Word. I mean, there is perhaps a bit of an inconvenience to that passage in John 14, where Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, if we speak that truth in that fashion, we're not always going to be necessarily the most popular person at the party. No, we're not. But again, if a fireman's trying to lead you out of a house that's on fire, do you really care, you know, (laughs) what kind of tone he uses when he says, follow me? (laughs) I mean, you want to get out. I think the bottom line, what it comes back to is, Craig, many Christians really don't believe what Jesus said. They really believe that there's more than one way to God. And I don't think they've thought through the implications of this. Look, if Jesus was wrong when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me, and really all roads do lead to heaven, he was wrong because either he was lying, he knew what he was saying was untrue, or he was mistaken, he didn't know what he was talking about, and therefore was not omniscient. Either way, if Jesus was wrong, he's not the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then when he died on the cross, he died for his sins, not for our sins, and that means you and I are still left in our sins. What I'm saying is Christianity, the whole faith, unravels like a cheap sweater if Jesus was wrong on this signal issue. 
it's almost as if we don't want to accept uh, the exclusivity of Christianity because we're afraid that perhaps someone won't believe as we do and therefore be left out and we don't want to be mean toward people it's almost as if we don't we don't understand the dynamic of the fact that it's God's creation he gets to set the rules and and even this notion deeper in terms of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God it seems like there's a, a fundamental disconnect there Oh, there is. You know, my friend David Jeremiah did the blurb on the cover of the book, and he tells a great story I recount in the book. You know, he said one day after a Sunday sermon, a woman came up to him, just irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I want you to know the God I serve. The God I serve would not send people to hell for simply not believing in Jesus. And David surprised her by saying, you're right. The God you serve wouldn't do that, because the God you serve is an imaginary God. And that's what's happened. You know, somebody said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to return the favor. (laughs) I mean, most of us have created the God we wish existed rather than worshiping the God who actually exists. And when you look at the God of the Bible, the real Bible, he's holy, we're not, there's a chasm between us, and Christ is not just one way, he's the only way to bridge that that great divide, that chasm. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus fell down and cried out to the Heavenly Father, Father, if there is any way, any other way, let this experience pass by me. But there was no other way. That's why heaven was silent. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between God and man. We would like to serve a tolerant God, but forget that we actually serve a God who is a just God. That's right. And, you know, God is just and God is loving. God's justice demands that a payment be made for our sin. God's love provides that he made the payment himself. And really, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his love. There is this obsession that America seems to have with tolerance these days, and I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after a brief break. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with pastor, radio speaker, and best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress. His new book, perhaps one of the most critical ones and certainly most foundational of a topic through the fundamental historical Christian faith. Not all roads lead to heaven. Dr. Robert Jeffress, our guest, A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Special guest on today's edition of Lifeline, we're visiting with senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory broadcast, best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. I'm curious about part of this issue here, Dr. Jeffress, if where we're, we're, we're failing at this point is that we've perhaps laid a lot of our faith at the so-called altar of tolerance, this notion that, well, if God is really a loving God, surely he will accept us so long as we are sincere in our effort to reach him, whether we call God Allah, Yahweh, or Maitreya. 
Well, that's right. And by the way, that's one of the objections that I deal with in this book. You know, I wrote this book, Craig, so that people could reclaim this belief that Christ is the only way to heaven. And I, you know, answer seven of the major objections to that belief, the one you just raised. Well, you know, people simply call God by a different name. Or the objection, well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Isn't it unfair that God would send them to hell for rejecting a Jesus they never heard of? Or what happens to infants and small children who are too young to trust in Christ? 1 Peter 3.15 says we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. But uh, let's take that question you just raised about, well, you know, what about tolerance? Or what about people who just call God by another name? Well, you know, names <clears throat> mean something. Allah of the Quran is not Jehovah God of the Bible. Allah is an imaginary God. Jehovah is a real God. Allah has no sons. Jehovah has one son who died on the cross for our sins. Allah says the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Ishmael. Jehovah God, the real Bible, says the God that Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not the same gods. And I illustrated that to my congregation, Greg, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about David Jeremiah. I said to my congregation, just suppose for several weeks we announced that Dr. Jeremiah was going to be the guest preacher at our church. And everybody packed in on a particular Sunday to hear David Jeremiah. But instead, I stood up and preached. And after the service, a few of you came up to me and trying to mask your disappointment said, well, wait a minute, is Dr. Jeremiah sick today? Oh, no, not that I know of, I said. Well, the bulletin says he's going to preach here. It says right here, David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, David Jeremiah is just another name I go by sometimes. Sometimes I use David Jeremiah, sometimes Joel Olstein, sometimes Al Sharpton, but we're all preachers. We're all the same. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. Names represent something. And the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. First John 5.13 says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might have eternal life. Now, part of this is not only a, a complete disconnect from the fundamental teachings of our faith, but perhaps some, some extreme intellectual dishonesty, too. I mean, isn't this partly born out of this notion that somehow it, it, it's possible to have multiple truths all yeah, be valid yeah. simultaneously? Boy, you hit the nail on the head with that. In fact, that's one of the things I talk about in Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. You know, there's what we call absolute truth, and then there's relative truth. Both are real phenomenon. There's absolute truth and relative truth. For example, if I ask you, what temperature does water freeze at? Well, the answer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not 35 degrees. It's not 16. It's 32 degrees is the freezing temperature of water. But if I were to ask you, what's a comfortable room temperature? Well, that's relative truth. For some people, it's 72. For some people, it's 68. For some people, it's 55. When it comes to the question, how can a person have a right relationship with God, the world today thinks that's a relative truth. It's a matter of whatever you think it is. But God says, no, there's an absolute answer to that question. There is only one way to me, and it's through my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a new concept. I show in the book, I have a chapter called The Old Way Was One Way, showing how from the very beginning of the Old Testament, God always required an exclusive way to worship Him. 
I wonder if we come back full circle that this also doesn't reveal a fundamental um, inaccuracy or misunderstanding of everything from the nature of God to the nature of mankind, the notion of God's demand for sacrifice for the remission of sin, uh, and that there, there's a disconnect here so that all of a sudden we get very... <laughs> Well, I was going to say sloppy grace. It's almost non-existent grace because we're trying to define the terms of engagement with God based on our terms as opposed to his terms. Another great point. You know, the problem, the reason we embrace this uh, uh, inclusivism and reject exclusivity is because of two things. First of all, we think too little of God, and secondly, we think too high of ourselves. Uh, you know, we think, well, we're able to overlook sin in other people. Why can't God be as tolerant as we are? I mean, every day we overlook sin in others, we overlook sin in ourselves. But the fact that we do that is not a sign of our uh, how much we are like God. It's a sign of how much we are unlike God. You know, the word uh, holy means a cut above, separate, distinct. God is called holy. He is different than we are. He said through Habakkuk the prophet, mine eyes are too pure to uh, see evil. God cannot tolerate evil like we are. He is holy. We're not. And we overestimate our own goodness as well. You know, we tend to judge ourselves based on other people. We find somebody who's worse than we are and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, the drug dealer, the child molester. I must be pretty good. But that's not the standard God uses. You know, I remind people that the geographical distance between the North Pole and the South Pole is considerable. But it's also negligible when compared to the distance between the North Pole and the farthest star in the universe. It's the same way with us. The difference between human beings seems to be a great deal. You know, the difference between Hitler and Walt Disney seems to be a lot of difference in, in, in morality. But in God's eyes, the difference between Walt Disney and Adolf Hitler is negligible compared to the difference between Walt Disney and you and me and God, who is absolutely perfect. And only Jesus Christ can bridge that gap between God and man. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all must make a payment for our sins or allow God to make that payment for us. So a fundamental misunderstanding of not only the character of God, but who we are in relationship to God's character. And then at the other extreme, and that is perhaps a fundamental denial of Satan and his efforts at not only watering down the gospel, but the outright perversion of that message. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to avoid the way of Cain in Jude verse 11. The way of Cain describes Cain's... uh, the decision that he would try to approach God on his own terms rather than God's terms. And every other world religion, Craig, is really a a deviation uh, or a derivation of the way of Cain, man's attempt to approach God in his own way. And, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light to deceive people. And other religions are really tools of Satan to lead people away from God. You know, when he says an angel of light, he appears sometimes as, isn't it interesting that Muhammad uh, claims that he received an angelic revelation of Islam and that Joseph Smith uh, claims that an angel delivered to him the teaching of Mormonism? I have no doubt an angel appeared to both men, but it wasn't an angel from God. 
And uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, we should not be surprised that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Many world religions, uh, many uh, groups, uh, I mean, they, they sound good, they look good, they sound like they're teaching great moral principles, but they are leading people away from the only way to God, which is faith in Christ alone. Well, and at the core, too, not only is it the sense of, you know, all roads lead to heaven, biblically ignorant, it shows that we're, we're theologically dishonest here. You make a beautiful illustration inside of your book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, this idea that somehow I can get on any highway and wind up at First Baptist Church in Dallas. Now, I guarantee you, if I took off here and got on 101 here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it could lead me to San Diego and eventually to Mexico, and I could make my way all the way up through the Oregon coast and eventually wind up in Canada. But no matter what direction I go on Highway 101, here's what I can guarantee you. It will not lead me to First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. That's right. And, you know, let's say, let's keep that analogy. Let's say that, uh, all, that, that in fact, all roads do lead to heaven. Well, that means Christianity is wrong. Uh, if, Christ, if, if Jesus is wrong about this, then you put your faith in the wrong person. Christianity is not the way to heaven if Jesus was wrong about this. But then here's the question. Which of the other thousands of ways to God do you choose? Uh, and, and, and what really confuses the matter is most all of other religions claim to be exclusive as well. So, I mean, you're left with not knowing how to get there if Christianity is wrong. And the fact is, I mean, all different religions are not different roads that lead up the same mountain of truth. Jesus said there's only one way to him. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. By the way, the new book recently published by Baker Books, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jeffress's website associated with the broadcast Pathway to Victory. Simply go to ptv.org. That's ptv. O-R-G. In your book, Dr. Jeffress, you walk through four, I think, very fundamental and yet critical definitions that I think will help the average reader better understand um, not only the slippery slope that, that leads to some of this very sloppy and dangerous theology, but also the importance of, of defining the differences between some of these fundamental worldviews. Walk us through, if you would, brief, briefly, some definitions on universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, and exclusivism. Well, I don't want to get lost in the <laughs> theological weeds in the few minutes that we have, but let me just basically say, you know, universalism is the belief that uh, everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe or don't believe. 
pluralism kind of limits it to what needs to be religious people, but it really doesn't matter uh, what uh, religious people, uh, what religion it is, that people are saved by the death of Jesus Christ, whether they know his name or not. And that's the point that I want to make, because one of the key questions, Craig, is, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? The pluralist would say, that's really no problem, that they are welcomed into heaven anyway. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot find one example in the New Testament of anyone uh, being saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. Of course, the objection is, well, what about those who have never heard? Isn't it patently unfair for God to send people to hell who've never heard about Jesus? And here's the answer I give in the chapter devoted to this. Romans 1 says, everyone, by looking at creation, can know that there is a God. And although an acceptance of the, of the existence of God is not enough to save a person, it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. You know, we used to talk about the heathen in Africa, as if all the heathen congregated in Africa. I'm not sure that's why that was, but let's, let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who lives in Syria. She's never heard about Jesus, never seen a Bible. How is she saved? Well, she can look into the heavens and know she didn't create this world. That can't save her, but if she responds to the light God gives her, I think the Bible is clear that God will send to that girl the light she needs to trust in Jesus as her Savior. I mean, he did that for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Here was a guy who wanted to know God. He's in his chariot reading Isaiah, can't make heads or tails of it. God miraculously sends uh, the evangelist Philip with the message of the gospel. Or think about the Roman centurion, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He was a lover of God, prayed regularly, gave his money to the poor. By most people's standards, that should be enough to go to heaven, but not by God's standard. He needed to hear Jesus, and so God miraculously sends Peter to preach to him the gospel. What I'm saying is, whenever God sees a heart that really wants to know him, you can know for sure that God is going to get the information about Jesus that person needs to be saved. And certainly if God is capable of sending his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer, die, rise again on the third day, if God is capable of doing all of that, he is certainly capable of individually revealing himself to persons who are perhaps beyond the reach of the church or not having uh, ever been exposed to the gospel in the fashion and form in which we would understand it. Well, that's right, and I don't think it's any accident that missionaries go where they go. I don't think it's any accident that the radio signals and television signals and the Internet literally reach around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we make of some of these individuals? And there are big names that come to mind, including uh, one big one that's down in your home state that (laughs) would look seriously at the television screen and say, well, now when it comes to this matter of uh, does this mean that someone, for example, who is um, Jewish is necessarily going to hell? How do we deal with this exclusivity, the notion that salvation is limited to those who exercise faith in Christ and Christ alone? And of course, we've heard these answers. You articulate one in the book that's sort of this, well, I'm not sure, don't know, not up to me to judge. How do we give an answer for that from a biblical perspective? Well, and we've all seen people wilt under the television lights and basically, you know, break out in a sweat, stutter and stammer, and basically say, I don't know, I don't know. We have to leave that up to God. Well, the problem with that is God has already made his judgment about that. 
And he's articulated it in the Scripture, and we need to be bold and compassionate and share that message with other people as well to save them from hell. You know, when people uh, accuse me of being anti-Semitic, I've been accused of that because I insist that Jews, like everybody else, must trust in Christ to be saved. That's not anti-Semitic. Jesus is the one who said it. Last time I checked, he was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew who said it. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation except by the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Jew of the Jews, and yet he gave his entire life to preaching that there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. So when you have the three most prominent Jews of the New Testament saying you have to believe in Jesus, well, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Early on in the book, you talk about this notion that uh, part of this slippery slope has been the fact that largely we as evangelical Christians on this very topic have been outmarketed, outmaneuvered, outfought, and outargued. How do we come back full circle? How do we redeem this to bring it back, back to this fundamental teaching that narrow, as the Scripture tells us, narrow is the gate? Well, you know, the fact is, I, I think... Baby, the fact that 57% of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to God, I mean, it really is a reflection on what's being taught and not being taught in the pulpits today. I mean, as I, you mentioned, several major pastors who are waffling on this issue. My old professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, whatever is a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. And I think a lot of people in the pew are foggy about this issue because they're not hearing it taught from pastors who want to be loving and kind and don't want to run anybody off and so forth, and they are neglecting their role to be prophets and evangelists teaching the Word of God. And, Craig, let me just say in the closing moments, that's why I wrote Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, to equip Christians to reclaim this truth, and I encourage Christians to get it and read it for themselves but also be ready to share that answer. You know, most people, if their child or grandchild asks them, well, do you believe a, a, a Muslim is going to hell? How could you say that? They wouldn't know what to say. Or if they were asked, well, what about children and infants who are too young to trust in Christ? They couldn't give any reason why they believe they're in heaven. All of those things I cover in my book. And as we enter this Easter season especially, as people are more open to Jesus, maybe some of our listeners know people who follow other faiths. They've never known how to approach them without offending them. Here's a great idea. Get a copy of Not All Roads Lead to Heaven and just give it to them as a gift, saying, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. I'll guarantee you this title, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, will grab their attention immediately, and it may be a great conversation starter. Are we as the church, as we kind of conclude our conversation together, Dr. Jeffress, are we as, a, as the church at, at a very critical crossroads because it, it, it occurs to me that this is a this is as as they say sometimes the deal breaker yeah uh, that, that if we as the church do not fundamentally understand if we're not capable of of giving an answer for the hope that lies within as scripture exhorts us if we do not understand the necessity of atonement or if we somehow uh, recoil against this notion of, of spilt blood atonement for sin uh, appeasement uh, propitiation things of this sort if 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 we find all of that very uncomfortable and we are therefore not able to effectively communicate the faith that we supposedly live and believe in it would seem to me that 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 absent that that the church becomes horrifically neutered it does and look you know you made an allusion to this 
we lost the gay marriage battle because we were outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on the issue. And, you know, marriage is a very important issue, but it pales in comparison to this issue. This issue is the foundation of the Christian faith. How can a person be reconciled with God? And if we allow ourselves to be outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on this, really, we need to shut the doors of our church and uh, keep our money for ourselves, forget about evangelism and missions. We don't have a message to share with anyone if everyone's going to be in heaven anyway. A sobering message that comes from the very heart of God himself. Don't believe me? Read the scripture. And you can work through a better understanding of this topic, not only for yourself, but in sharing your faith with others, as Dr. Robert Jeffers so aptly points out. The book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. Newly published, as we mentioned earlier, by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as ordering it online through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. That's ptv. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Certainly makes sense from a perspective of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, um, if we're in this love relationship with the Lord and He has redeemed us, as we share that good news with others, don't we want to be uh, don't we want to be articulate about um, what He's done in our life? and how we can change somebody else's life, too? While certainly that's the desire, I think a lot of people, when it comes to the matter of of sharing their faith or evangelism, get nervous. They get nervous because oftentimes we are afraid that somebody is going to ask us a question that we can't give an answer for. Oftentimes this goes to the heart of the question as to whether or not we are ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within. Brand new book out that uh, helps give some insight to some of the bigger questions and uh, appropriate answers to same. Written by Mark Middleberg. The book is called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And Mark, great to have you on the show tonight. Great to be with you. I have to wonder, we look at some of these questions here, you know, what makes you sure that God exists? How can we trust the Bible? Uh, wasn't Jesus just a good uh, man and teacher? Uh, are, are very common questions, to be sure. And one would think quest- questions that at the base every Christian would feel comfortable in answering. But obviously, a book like yours suggests that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I guess we should. But the, the real truth is a lot of us uh, grew up with, Christian faith. Our parents taught us as we were young, which is great, but when you're raised kind of on VBS and Sunday school and this is, you know, being taught that this is true your whole life, and, and if you're mostly around Christians, then later when someone really looks you in the eye and says, yeah, but how do you know? And, you know, you believe the Bible, it's full of contradictions, it's based on myths, it's, you know, how can you accept that? Well, a lot of us quite naturally feel intimidated by that because we just haven't prepared ourselves for that. So that's really the spirit of this book is to say, these are the questions we're afraid of. This is based on a national survey we did about a year and a half ago that summer. We asked a thousand Christians, you know, what are the issues that you hope will not come up when you're in a conversation with a non-Christian? And these are the top 10 questions that came up. So let's get ready because, 
if we feel ready, then we're much more willing to get into those conversations and much more likely to be used by God. Now, for many years, you served as evangelism director at Willow Creek Community Church there in Chicago. Um, as you spoke with folks that were coming through your program, uh, there seemed to be a commonality um, over intimidation by some of these questions. And I'm wondering how much of that might have gone to, as you suggest, maybe a sense of Christian isolationism where we really don't know the answer to these questions because we've never been asked them. Uh, and then to maybe to a level of just simple biblical illiteracy where a lot of folks are just not that familiar with Scripture enough to feel comfortable in in, in speaking to some of these questions. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think... Uh... Again, I think sometimes as churches, we're a lot better at teaching, especially young people, teaching them what to believe but not why it's true. And so a lot of young people grow up learning the creeds, learning Bible verses, uh, being able to kind of parrot back the right answers. But again, I think in the training, and I'm a real advocate even in Sunday school classes, where we say, okay, let's let's role play here a little. I used to do this when I was a high school Sunday school teacher. I'd say, for the next half hour, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, or I'm going to be a strong, you know, kind of atheistic evolutionist, and I'm going to challenge your ideas. And and at first it freaked the kids out, but then they they really took to it because they they realized, well, wait a minute, we have answers to these things, and so I think we just need to really force ourselves to think more and get more ready, because truth is on our side. We, we don't have to be afraid of these things, but we do, as, as the verse you quoted, First uh, Peter 3.15, we do need to get prepared. There's a couple of issues here at hand, too, I think. I remember a number of years ago, Norman Geisler was on the program, and we spent some time talking about what, at the time, was an increase in... in how should I phrase this? A debate, really, over whether or not it was necessary as a Christian to believe in a, a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ or whether or not that could have been simply a figurative event. And it was amazing to me the number of people that called into our program that night that felt as if, you know, whether or not it was a literal resurrection or a figurative one really didn't matter if at the core, you know, you kind of got the message. And and it, it was a, a, a very big eye-opener for me in understanding that there oftentimes is a gulf of ignorance uh, between what we believe and even going down to the core of why we believe it. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true, and I've been in Bible studies with all church people, evangelicals, who didn't believe in the Trinity or who thought they believed in it but would articulate it in a way that was actually cultic. And so, again, I, my my mission is not to shame all these people. My mission is to say we just need to do a little more preparation. Uh, let's be honest, we need to do a lot more preparation. And this, Mark, I, I should hasten to add, is not just simply for the sake of more effective outreach and evangelism, but ultimately for deepening of our own walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it would seem to me um, it would be important for every believer to know why they are sure that God exists. Absolutely. I, I think all of these questions first speak to our own confidence and clarity as Christians, especially, again, young people who are going to go away you know, go away to the university or college and have their faith challenged. And so we've got to equip them in particular, but really all of us. 
And then the second half is then we're going to be much more able to boldly and confidently and clearly articulate the message and explain to our non-Christian friends how they can know that it's true as well. So very much a double-edged sword cutting both ways, both in terms of being able to deepen our own faith walk and understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, and then secondarily, once having been equipped with that information, being more effective toward giving that, uh, well, as we said earlier, that answer for the hope that lies within. Our conversation today with Mark Middleberg, a look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask. We'll come to some of those questions as our conversation continues right here on KFAX.